You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome to America's Web Radio. This is Ron Bachman, and you're tuned into Healthcare Insight. But as I have to say every week, I am not talking so much about healthcare as the environment within which a free market healthcare system could ultimately be discussed, uh, be implemented, um, thrive, survive, and make life better for American citizens and their families regarding their health insurance and health care needs. Unfortunately, we're not there. And so I want to continue the process of looking at the environment within which we find ourselves today, which is an environment moving more towards socialism slash Marxism. And the last several weeks, we've been talking about Marxism and what they mean, what they see, what they're going to do with our culture should they gain more power. Well, today I want to talk about the core of where all this stuff really starts, and that's in teaching, in teaching our young people about the dangers of capitalism, of looking at all the conflicts and all of the issues, the warts, if you will, of any system that exists, but particularly our capitalist system is what our teachers and professors are constantly railing against to train those young minds to have a belief that there is oppression within our society. It's endemic that instead of individualism, we need to talk about groups, that there is no real truth, that everything is just relative. And it's such an important topic and issue that I want to present that here today so we can expose the whole idea of Marxism-Socialism that is rearing its ugly head. So just as within this past period of time, we've seen the Cuban people rise up and try to say, we don't want communism anymore. We don't want the central government to control our lives. We don't want the restrictions that exist. We have people in the United States taking the opposite view of trying to implement more socialist Marxist philosophies in our country. So how did they get trained? Where did their mindset come from? That is the real issue that I want to talk about today, because there's a whole philosophy that teachers have on teaching. And it's not just reading, writing, and arithmetic. Today, it seems about radicalism, racism, and destruction of our country and our economy and all the things that bind us together, just creating conflicts. So I want to continue a discussion that we've had in several of these presentations in the past with um, a professor who is a Marxist, and he is very open about what he's doing, what he's teaching. So I want to start off by opening up the floor uh, to him and let him tell us about the philosophy of education and what a professor's role uh, really is. So, Professor Hicks, tell us more about the philosophy of education and what teachers and professors at the college level, teachers at the undergraduate level, what are they thinking when they're beginning uh, their classes and trying to decide how and what they're going to teach? In particular, tell us about the relationship of philosophy to education. 
Now, the reason for the connection to educational practice is, uh, is several fold. Teachers themselves, to the extent that they are strategic uh, in, uh, in doing their profession, think about philosophical issues and uh, institute various sorts of philosophical practices into their, into their classrooms. It's also been the case that uh, as education has become professionalized, there's been a development of undergraduate education majors, graduate programs in education. And over the course of the 20th century, especially, this might be a little bit too flip, but there have been successive waves of philosophical fashions right, that have been dominant at different points in, uh, in uh, professional schools of education. What this then meant was that professors of education then were training a whole new generation of teachers, principals, superintendents, and so forth, and those students then would go forth uh, armed with or committed to a different kind of philosophical tradition than in the previous generation, and they would institute various changes or, in their, in their judgment, reforms to the educational system uh, from, from within. So teachers aren't necessarily teaching the truth of reading, writing, and arithmetic to train our kids, but they're becoming more politically involved in recent times, and changing the future is something that teachers now have in the back of their minds when they're teaching our young children. How are they going to train people to take over and make the changes that the teachers want from a political perspective? Is that what you're saying? It's also been the case in the 20th century that the uh, educational world became largely politicized or much more politicized than it had been uh, traditionally, at least in the American context. And this led to different political philosophies uh, wanting to make certain kinds of changes in the educational system. And so one would have top-down initiatives coming from politicians either at the state level or increasingly at the federal level as the 20th century went on. And so there would then be politically uh, instituted top-down philosophical changes on the educational world. Okay, Professor, so... Give us the scoop on this whole idea of the professor pushing certain political uh, agendas in order to control the next generation. Isn't it just all about behavioral control, controlling the individual through the use of psychology so that you can get them to both accept and to behave in certain ways? Isn't that what this is really all about? Is this issue of control. Uh, this issue of uh, being a conditioner. And this is one of the things that, uh, in the context particularly of 20th and 21st century uh, American education, really gets people's hackles up. And it's one of the things that the, the behaviors say we have to make no bones about. Our job as educators is to control the stimuli uh, in order to get the desired behaviors. Our job as educators is not to teach students to explore their value preferences. Our job is not to motivate students to become self-learners. Our job is not to let the student's inner child or inner preferences work their way out and piggyback on them in order to facilitate the student's self-expression and uh, and self-development. Wow, I think it's really important for our audience to understand that teaching is no longer like many of us went through many decades ago, that it's more political, it's more propaganda, it doesn't really look at the individual. Um, give us an example that I've heard you talk about before. Explain to our audience, this is like training dogs as far as the behavioralists go, and this ultimately is going to lead to the way Marxists feel 
about education and Marxist professors and how they are training our kids like they might train dogs. We think of the dog training analogy here again. Uh, we're not primarily interested if we're dog trainers and what the dog wants, what the dog feels, what are the dog's goals in life. Uh, you know, the inner dog uh, and letting the dog be all that the dog can be. We have specific behavioral outcomes that we want to train the dog in terms of, uh, and that is that's our objective. Uh, we are we are we are objective. We are scientific. We are engineers. We are technicians. The human being is simply a more complicated uh, case, right, uh, 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 of, of an animal that is subject to objective conditioning. And so we are conditioners. We are technicians. We are engineers. End of the story. Holy cow. Professor, I am always amazed at your direct honesty as a Marxist professor talking about how you want to control the minds and behaviors of our students. And don't you also want to control the entire environment within which they're learning and other ideas that they might be exposed to that would be in conflict with what the teacher, the professor is trying to drive into them? And isn't that an example of why Marxists want to take the children away to boarding schools and keep them out of the influence of anybody who might have ideas of capitalism or liberty or freedoms? Tell me about that aspect, controlling the environment from a professor's viewpoint. Uh, our job is to control the environment, to eliminate all of the haphazard stimuli, all of the uncontrollable stimuli, all of the erratic stimuli. To control entirely the uh, the environment, so that students are exposed to the right conditions at the right time and the right intensity, so as to get the desired behavioral outcomes. Uh, and uh, that is our job. That is our so our professional obligation, right? As uh, as educators, and we should uh, ruthlessly eliminate any res resistance we feel within ourselves as educators uh, toward achieving those ends. Okay, now we understand the current role of professors is to brainwash and propagandize our students at the high school level and the college level. It's infiltrated the college level for many decades, and it's working its way down through into the um, uh, high school and even the elementary school these days. So let's just go one step further. Let's assume that this Marxist philosophy and teachings that you're uh, uh, packing into our kids' heads, what if it takes hold? What, what is the educational process at that point? And let's assume Marxism is, in fact, in place somehow. All right. Now, uh, imagining a successful future from the Marxist perspective, uh, we've uh, successfully mounted a revolution. Suppose, op optimistically, we're now a generation into the revolution, and we now have uh, an, an entire cohort of young people who, from day one, have been educated in Marxist socialist uh, uh, system, and uh, they're now adults, and uh, so the whole society, or at least the dominant uh, number of people uh, among the older people and among the young people who are continually being born into the society, uh, everything then is, is essentially Marxist. Now we can talk about what Marxist education will be in a fairly pure sense. Okay, I want our audience to listen carefully to this because this is the ultimate goal of how they're going to train our children. And I believe you're going to hear from the professor. Give us the details, professor. You've been very open, but I think it's going to be about categorizing people into certain groups and tracking them 
into their future the way the leadership of the Marxist uh, revolution would want them to be uh, tracked. Not what the individual's interests are, not what their skills necessarily are, but how those skills or interests might be identified by somebody other than the individual themselves. So give us the uh, basics for how Marxist education works. I want to organize uh, Marxist education under three headings. A significant amount of physical work, physical health, uh, physical activity is uh, is built into and one of the three pillars of Marxist education. And uh, if you uh, uh, perhaps have seen uh, video clips uh, or pictures in, in books of, of, uh, from uh, Marxist regimes, the, the standard kind of clip is uh, the students at various points in the day or during the week all wearing uniforms, doing group calisthenic activities. Uh, a great deal of that physical activity, but it's uh, it, everyone is wearing uniforms uh, to give them a sense that they are not isolated individuals with their own style and their uh, competition between individuals for how they look, but also doing the exercises uh, as part of a group so that one gets oneself, one sense, uh, one senses oneself rather as being a part of a larger group in all of one's activities. Okay, let me stop you there because we've got to take a commercial break. We'll be right back with more Professor Hicks and the education ideals, I suppose, of being a Marxist. Be right back. Hi, this is Rocky Blyer, and I hope you'll make plans to join us on January 28th for Warriors for Hope. I'm thrilled to be a part of this virtual fundraiser for St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital and Warriors to Citizen. These organizations do so much to support veterans, first responders, and families who have been touched by pediatric cancer. I'd also like to thank David Moxley and his show, David's Pick, here on America's Web Radio for supporting Warriors for Hope. And I know you'll want to join in and support this event as well on January 28th. So visit warriorsforhope.events. That's warriors and the number four, hope.events. You can make a gift and reserve your seat for this virtual benefit. Again, that's warriors and the number four, hope.events. Thanks for your support, and we'll see you at noon on January 28th. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, join me, Roger B., every Tuesday at 1400 hours right here on America's Web Radio for the Locked and Loaded Show. We will talk about guns, weapons, ammo, gun accessories, prepping, and so much more. So be sure to join us every Tuesday at 1400 or 2 p.m. for Locked and Loaded on America's Web Radio. Whether cruising the strip at a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Web Radio. This is Healthcare Insight, and as you know, last several weeks, including the segment we just started with, has nothing to do directly with healthcare. It has to do with how this country is being taken over by socialists slash Marxists, and it's important that we understand that our audience out there understands what Marxism is all about and why the craziness that we might see viewing it from a free market, liberty, capitalist perspective is entirely different than the way a Marxist would uh, would view it. So we are interviewing a, um, a Marxist professor who's giving us enormous insights, very honest about how people are being trained at young age to be thinking along the lines of a market, Marxist and how they would train once Marxism takes over. So we've already heard in the last segment 
that the first step of three major steps that he's talking about is physical, whether that's physical um, exercising or whether it's joining the military uh, for the physical exercises they give there. And now we want to get into the next two items that he will describe in terms of the perfect Marxist education that ultimately takes hold once Marxism becomes the dominant form of government, of political structure uh, in your country. So, Professor, tell us what the next step is after physical education. All right. Second uh, pillar of Marxist education is uh, economic and uh, physical work training. Uh, the Marxists believe, of course, again, philosophically, that economics is the fundamental science, the mother science upon all, which all the rest of society's uh, superstructure is built upon. How we make a living uh, in our society, as in any society, is the most fundamental thing. And so a major part of uh, Marxist education has to be job training, career training. And so there will be a great deal of agricultural training, uh, agricultural being, uh, agriculture rather being a, a very labor intensive uh, kind of uh, uh, economic pursuit, and a great deal of technical training. Uh, most Marxists believe in a kind of combination of uh, agricultural training and technical training, and certainly at the early ages before we start segregating students into uh, career paths, they should know something about agriculture, where their food comes from, they should know something about basic manufacturing and technological pursuits so that they know uh, where the various articles of manufacture come from. And we're also looking as educators to see where their aptitudes might lie so that when we start tracking them, we can track some in a more agricultural direction and others in a more technical and industrial direction. Well, Professor, I don't know about the rest of our audience, but you scare me to death, not describing different forms of education we all need that in the United States and capitalist society. We tend to follow our own uh, direction, our own interest, whatever that inherent interest is or exposure to areas that we enjoy and we pick up and want to develop, whether it's in education, of technology, being a teacher, being a, a scientist, being a football player, baseball player, being an insurance salesman, whatever it is, we're allowed to develop our own skills. The words that bother me the most in what you've described is tracking people, putting them on a certain path that's described and prescribed by the government instead of personal interest and personal direction. That's the scary part for most of us. So I don't know what you're talking about. Um, I certainly hope we never get there, but we seem to be moving in the direction of that kind of intrusive government planning and organizing, supporting industries that would almost force people into those areas because that's where the jobs are. But let's continue. Let's continue. I enjoy hearing your points of view so that I know I can be scared. Maybe the audience be alerted and aware of the problems of Marxism. So what's the third pillar of Marxist education? The third uh, pillar of Marxist education is a little bit more intellectual. Uh, now, Marxists philosophically are not great believers in human consciousness. They believe that human consciousness, the mind, or whatever we want to call it, the spirit, uh, is an epiphenomenon or at best a secondary phenomenon based on underlying physical processes. But the Marxists, uh, for the most part, do recognize that, of course, we are conscious beings and what people think and believe to some extent plays a causal role in how they do act. So it is necessary 
for there to be some ideological instruction in education as well. And this ideological instruction then will be a certain amount of Marxist uh, political economy, education in how Marxists believe we should think about politics, how Marxists believe we should think about economic matters, a certain amount of Marxist philosophy for, uh, for uh, students who perhaps might be uh, going on a leadership kind of a track as well. Uh, and then uh, also uh, art that will serve a didactic purpose or literature or movies that serve an instructional purpose in uh, helping students concretize and visualize what it means to be uh, a good socialist. What I'm hearing you say is that Marxists believe people really are just moldable pieces of plastic that you can brainwash them, you can train them, you can push them in a certain direction, that their sheep will follow the direction of leadership. Tell me more about this training in the area of ideology that you'd be pushing in terms of the history, uh, the comparative nature of other economic systems, um, of maybe things that they in the past were somewhat exposed to or their parents were exposed to. How do you eliminate the knowledge of, say, capitalism? Uh, we will certainly teach history as a series of lessons about the bad old days under various other kinds of educational systems uh, uh, and so forth. So art, literature, history, all of it serves that didactic purpose of ideologically instructing individuals to believe in a Marxist philosophical base. So put those three together, right? Marxist physical education technological and agricultural instruction and Marxist ideology, those three form the basis for Marxist education, both philosophically and in terms of how most, in practice, Marxist educational systems have uh, been instituted in the countries where, to more or less uh, degrees, Marxism has been the ruling ideology. So, Professor, I guess the leadership of any Marxist regime has to be educated in all these different areas. Can you give me an example of some great Marxist leader who's been trained in these areas to provide the example for the rest of the people or to show how they have learned all the right things about Marxism to faithfully run a country under the Marxist principles? I have uh, one concrete real-life example to read about Marxist education in practice. This involves the education of Kim Jong-il, the current uh, uh, communist leader in North Korea. Uh, North Korea, uh, now one of the longest-lived Marxist-inspired states. And it speaks to his education. Uh, quote, Kim Jong-il began studying at Kim Il-sung University in 1960, majoring in Marxist political economy. His minor subjects included philosophy and military science. While at university, he also took production training at Pyongyang Textile Machinery Factory as a road-working apprentice and as a worker building broadcasting equipment. Now, from a Marxist perspective, that's perfect. That's beautiful. We have Marxist philosophy, Marxist political economy, military science, actual working in factories, actually working building roads, all of the major buttons here are uh, are being pressed. Well, Professor Hicks, I hope you haven't lost our audience and any credibility uh, you might have had up to this point, but I admire the interest and the ability of you to speak 
the truth from your angle. I mean, give me a break. Kim Jong-il is the example of the perfect Marxist leader. He's led his country into total ruin. It's the only country in the world where people have been losing height and losing weight and starving, killing his opposition. We all know that, and we don't know half of how bad it is in that country. So give me a break. You can't possibly think that that is the kind of example that people in the United States would find admirable. But, you know, again, I admire your truthfulness, and I hope it scares the daylights out of people listening to this program to think that Marxists like yourself would hold up people like Kim Jong-il as great Marxist leaders because we know how disastrous they have led their countries down the rat hole of ruin. Okay, let's just go ahead and change some topics at this point. Let's talk about how Marxist views the individual. In the United States, under capitalism, it's your individual efforts working towards the betterment of the community. How does a Marxist look at the value of an individual, given that you've already indicated they don't think much of people as humans, but they're just moldable plastics out there that the leadership can sort of move and push in whatever direction they want because they can control their behaviors and therefore they can control their actions. So tell me about the Marxist belief in individuals. Also, Marxists place a great deal of emphasis on group work uh, as much as possible. We want students to be working on group projects in social groupings. Again, develop in them sense that uh, the students in a sense that they are not individuals, that it's not through individual effort primarily, but rather through collective effort that things get done. So uniforms, group work, and then at the same time, we as teachers are uh, monitoring our students and evaluating our students. Eventually, students will graduate, and they will then become part of the society at large, and we do as much as possible want to uh, position students to, uh, to do the kind of work that will be most useful to society, and so we're going to look uh, for students who have uh, certain kinds of aptitudes uh, so that we can direct them toward perhaps military service, towards being uh, farm workers, towards industrial production or engineering or perhaps those few students who are uh, in a position to uh, have a firm grasp on Marxist political economy and philosophy, those who might go on to assume leadership roles. So there will be a kind of tracking that uh, develops as Marxist education goes on. But nonetheless, uh, even with the tracking, the students will be tracked as groups, and they will do their work in groups, and they will have various kinds of uniforms and badges and insignia and so forth that designate their group membership, uh, all at the same time uh, making sure that they're working toward a sense of solidarity with society as a whole. Well, I find it fascinating, Professor, that you think this is a utopian society, the next uh, evolution through revolution of how people should govern themselves, how society should be organized, how workers should uh, be identified on their skills based upon somebody else's belief instead of their own individual uh, efforts or beliefs or desires or wishes. This is really scary stuff, and I hope people in this country, the United States of America, don't ever let anybody like you get in any level of power. It's bad enough that you're a professor, but to teach this stuff, at least you're showing us how 
Marxism thinks so that we can be more aware to fight this as we move forward in this country with the craziness of socialism slash Marxism, which is all kind of connected and most people don't fully understand that. Well, let's take a quick commercial break and we'll be back for another segment on America's Web Radio. Hey folks, this is Victor with the On Point with Victor show. Make sure you listen every Tuesday, 1 to 2, only right here on America's Web Radio, the On Point with Victor show. Remember folks, I'm not angry, I'm just right. And you can find out why every Tuesday from 1 to 2, the On Point with Victor show, only right here on America's Web Radio. If you live to serve and want to make an even bigger difference, consider joining the U.S. Army. With training in fields like medical care, linguistics, and engineering, an Army career can amplify your efforts with humanitarian opportunities all over the world. Plus, you'll receive competitive pay and incredible benefits, so you'll be taken care of, too. Learn more at GoArmy.com. Hi, this is Rocky Blair, and I hope you'll make plans to join us on January 28th for Warriors for Hope. I'm thrilled to be a part of this virtual fundraiser for St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital and Warriors to Citizen. These organizations do so much to support veterans, first responders, and families who have been touched by pediatric cancer. I'd also like to thank David Moxley and his show, David's Pick, here on America's Web Radio for supporting Warriors for Hope. And I know you'll want to join in and support this event as well on January 28th. So visit warriorsforhope.events. That's warriors and the number four, hope.events. You can make a gift and reserve your seat for this virtual benefit. Again, that's warriors and the number four, hope.events. Thanks for your support, and we'll see you at noon on January 28th. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Web Radio. This is Ron Bachman, and you're listening to Healthcare Insight. Well, last several months, we've been talking about socialism, Marxism, progressivism, all those things that seem to be hurting our country these days, but we seem to be inching closer and closer to these crazy ideologies. We're seeing the disastrous outcome in Cuba, and uh, we're going to see the same uh, uproar and stopping of this ideology in the United States as it goes to such an extreme But what I want our audience to understand is that these ideologies, Marxism in particular, the so-called intellectuals around these new ideas change their name. These people are really clever in that they will change their name and use fancy terms. I guess it all comes from that elite academic professorial approach to trying to pull the wool over the eyes of the American people and any country that kind of goes down these lines of socialism and Marxism. And what I want to focus on for the rest of this hour is this new term that's the same as Marxism, and it's called neo-modernism. And this whole idea of this new modernism, it's like the new generation thinks the world starts with them. So they call it actually postmodernism. So there's a pre-modernism, a modernism, and a postmodernism. And I want the professor to explain this in detail, how each of these areas um, are viewed by the Marxists, by these crazy ideologues, as sort of a natural progression, because they see themselves in this world all focused on them, like they're the new world. They've got the new ideas that everybody else should follow, as if these ideas haven't been 
tried in the past, or these ideas haven't failed in the past, but all of a sudden they call it postmodernism, and that's supposed to be a new creative idea that we should follow their path to these new ideas that are really just old ideas rehashed and repackaged. So instead of Marxism, what you're going to hear is postmodernism. And Professor, tell us what postmodernism really is. You know, we turn our attention to postmodernism. Postmodernism is a sprawling intellectual and cultural movement of the second part of the 20th century. Its common themes are that the modern world has ended, uh, or at least it is time for us to recognize that the modern world has reached its end limits, uh, its nadir, and that it's time for us to move on intellectually and culturally. Okay, I want our audience to listen carefully to Professor Hicks. What he's talking about is it created, this postmodernism was created in the latter half of the 20th century. In other words, more recently. So it's this current generation. And they think they're so damn smart that they can just put out something new and try to drive our politics by just criticizing the world that all of us grew up in as if they're so smart that they're going to be the new founding fathers, if you will, of this new world. So don't get hung up in these crazy terms, pre-modernism, modernism, and postmodernism. Recognize it for what it is. It's just a hoax on the American people. It's a hoax on the world of trying to think that these guys are so smart they can create a whole new world of some utopia by tearing down whatever is the old so that something new can be developed that they have no idea where it's really going to go. But listen to the professor again on this issue of postmodernism. Now, postmodernism is a critical uh, movement, and it will take its point of departure by uh, criticizing, rather, the fundamental institutions of the modern world, and it will take as its initial data uh, the pathologies of the current modern world. So if we survey the modern world from the postmodern perspective, all of the continued problems and crises, the uh, ongoing existence of poverty in the modern world, the ongoing racial and ethnic conflicts uh, domestically and around the world, the international crises and conflict that have been characteristic of the latter part of the modern world, uh, the uh, increasing perhaps environmental degradation from the postmodern perspective all of these symptoms are part and parcels and manifestations of modernism's underlying instability, its underlying incoherence, uh, its inability to grapple with uh, the, the true nature of the human condition, if there is such a thing. And so what we need to do is realize that the revolutionary modern world or you know, the last couple of centuries has run its final course and that all of these crises and pathologies that we see around us are indications of that. And it is so time for us to realize that the modern world has uh, run its course and prepare ourselves for a post-modern world. Let me jump in here because, again, I want our audience out there to understand what's going on. Instead of talking about Marxism, they're talking about postmodernism. So don't get hung up in the words. This is what our current leadership, this is what the current Biden administration and the people who are pulling the strings around the Biden administration are thinking, that they're so smart they're going to create this postmodernism world, which really is a Marxist world, tearing down what we have, identifying all the conflicts, identifying all the problems and issues, 
No system is perfect, and they are just diving into every flaw that they can find, exaggerating it, exacerbating it to create the kind of confusion and the kind of chaos that they really intend. So as you and I out there in the audience look at the world around us and we don't understand what's going on, it makes no sense, the chaos, the conflict, the distortion, the lies about the American experience, the dismissal of the American exceptionalism. What's happening is this is exactly the ideas that these crazy people that happen to be politically in charge of the country at the moment are professing. They want to tear down this country and create this new postmodernism world, which makes no sense except to create more destruction. But these guys think that they are so smart that they, in fact, can create this new world somehow out of their intellectual ivory tower thinking. So I want to continue with this. I want you to hear the words, the destruction that is potentially coming out of this professor who is being very honest with us. He is exposing this Marxist postmodernism world that our politicians are trying to move us towards in this country. Situating itself intellectually by rejecting or wanting to go beyond the institutionalizing intellectual principles that animated and gave uh, life to the, the modern world. Okay, Professor, so let's start by just telling our audience what you consider to have been the modern world. Uh, nonetheless, the modern world has been with us for several centuries, so we should be able to first figure out what the modern world has been all about, what its core defining features are, and then we can see what the postmoderns are are reacting against. If we take the last 500 years as a historical unit, we can see that the kind of institutions that exist, the kind of world that people are inhabiting is dramatically different from the world that existed prior to 500 years ago, and we'll call that the pre modern world. In the modern world, the dominant institutions have been science. We live in a highly scientific culture. Technology uh, has been a defining institution of the modern world. And liberalism, uh, uh, socially and culturally, uh, including dem democratic, republican kinds of political experiments, have been defining institutions of the modern world. And then economically, capitalism and free markets have been the defining institutions. Okay, I don't want to, nor do I want our audience to get too hung up in some sort of a, a professorial um, classroom discussion that gets too far down into the weeds. What you're really saying here is that the modern world has been formed uh, on the basis of science, of reason, of capitalism, of liberty, equality, freedom, private property, all those things that we cherish. And now you're saying you're going to create all the arguments against any flaw or defect that might be in that system to say that the whole system needs to be rebelled against and replaced with some postmodernism that you intellectuals think ought to be implemented. So tell me about the postmodernism world now. Uh, the postmoderns are a latter part of the 20th century intellectual movement. 
and uh, certainly their influence in educational circles started to be felt by the time we got to the latter part of the 20th century. But it's also true to say that the postmoderns were well aware of the earlier philosophical traditions, the earlier educational traditions, and while they disagree radically and fundamentally with many or most of them, they are nonetheless also drawing on certain of those earlier traditions as well. So I want to make a few connections here. Okay, Professor Hicks, so you're really going to talk about this postmodernism as rejecting uh, the so-called modern society that we all grew up in through the end of uh, 2000, because you think the whole world should start there. This younger generation thinks they're so smart. So the old uh, modern system now that you're considering was based on science and reason, uh, independence, liberty, uh, private property, uh, but in particular on this idea of reason and truth. Tell me how that can possibly be considered uh, to be wrong in this new postmodern world that you're describing. What we find, though, with the postmoderns is they will take the skeptical arguments that the pragmatists will make and really run with them uh, at reaching to the point that it, uh, the conclusion rather that there is no such thing as truth that is possible. Instead, all we have are a bunch of stories that more or less seem to work, but different groups have different stories, and uh, that's just our, our predicament. Okay, so the postmodernism, the Marxists, if you will, don't believe that there's any truth. It's just a lot of stories. And so when you get rid of truth, I'm not sure where you go in any kind of uh, rational ideology. But then again, I guess you've dismissed uh, rationality. Let's talk about human nature, because that's such a critical part that we learned in other segments of your uh, presentation that, okay, in the modern world, um, the human nature is independent. They have a self-directed nature in that they can do things that they want as opposed to uh, the Marxist approach that everything is group and you're going to be determined where you go and what you do. So give me some of the explanation in your words on this um, postmodernism uh uh, perspective on human nature. If we take uh, issues of human nature, I've emphasized here the notion of determinism, that environmental determinism is a, is a dominant uh, understanding of how human beings come into existence. Uh, uh, in, in our discussions, we've talked about behaviorism, behaviorism being a school of thought emphasizing the plasticity of human nature and that if you take a human being and put it into pretty much any sort of environment that one wants, one can construct the kind of human being that one wants. What we'll find in the postmoderns is the postmoderns, in part because of the influence of behaviorists, but also in part because of the influence of Marxism. Marxism also emphasizes environmental determinism. It, uh, uh, it, uh, the postmodernists are, are, are strongly advocating that as well. And in this case here, rather than it simply being the individual right, who is the operative unit that is being operated on, the postmodernists are more likely to cast it in a group direction. I hope our audience understands what you're really proposing, what the Marxists are proposing is really brainwashing, putting people into an environment, as you call it, but an environment that brainwashes them into the idea of Marxism and giving up their individual liberties and freedoms. We've seen that in much of the United States so far today in various pockets that are controlled by the Democratic Party and these Marxists. 
Let's take a quick commercial. I want to come back and I want our audience to fully understand where all this leads. Whether cruising the strip at a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Hey folks, this is Victor with the On Point with Victor show. Make sure you listen every Tuesday, 1 to 2, only right here on America's Web Radio, the On Point with Victor show. Remember folks, I'm not angry, I'm just right. And you can find out why every Tuesday from 1 to 2, the On Point with Victor show, only right here on America's Web Radio. Hi, this is Steve Ronaldo, host of the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio. Uh, Just talking to you about antique car insurance. I think that uh, if you're looking for the best coverage for your classic car, consider J.C. Taylor Insurance. They've been my insurer for years in this hobby and have the top rating of all of the insurance companies in the hobby. When you get ready for insurance, call J.C. Taylor or visit jctaylor.com on the Internet. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, join me, Roger B., every Tuesday at 1400 hours right here on America's Web Radio for the Locked and Loaded Show. We will talk about guns, weapons, ammo, gun accessories, prepping, and so much more. So be sure to join us every Tuesday at 1400 or 2 p.m. for Locked and Loaded on America's Web Radio. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Web Radio. We're finishing up this hour talking about what sounds like sort of, you know, made up words. And I don't want to lose the audience on some of these academic terms, but postmodernism is a term that uh, this Professor Hicks is throwing around, which really you could just say it's Marxism. But because people will react in a knee jerk way, understanding a negativism of Marxism, they kind of sneak it through the back door and call it postmodernism. And what we've learned now is that this postmodernism is anti-modern, if you will. The modern world that we've known for the last 500 years, as described by the professor, included things like reason and science and the independence of the individual, the pursuit of happiness, the searching for pleasure in one's life, whether it's family or job or your faith or whatever, but looking for this Pursuit of happiness is, is what's in our, um, our uh, Declaration of Independence and includes areas like equality and liberty, uh, a meritocracy, if you will, of doing the best you can and getting ahead. I think what, in many cases, we're hearing on the economic side of this argument against capitalism is a rejection of the idea that whether you're an individual a company, a city, a state, or even a country, that your standard of living is based upon your ability to produce goods and services that other people want to buy and sell, resell. So are you producing something of value? If you're not, the only other way to have a standard of living is either to steal from somebody else or steal indirectly by having the government give you money and jobs and a guaranteed income by taking away from others. That's just a a political form of stealing. And that's what most of the Marxists or these postmodernism ideas really surround is the idea of let's steal from other people who have been productive to support those in a society that are not productive and don't want to be productive, but they want everything that everybody else has. 
So what is the postmodernism as been described so far, just to summarize? Well, it's anti-realism. Those, realism really doesn't matter. They're against realism. They're against the truth. I mean, the professor clearly said that. The truth doesn't matter to the postmodernism Marxist world. So as we try to make sense out of what's going on in this world, and we see the craziness, and we say, that doesn't make any sense. From our perspective, the Marxists really don't care. They're skeptics. They, they think everything that is developed around truth is just another narrative, that there's no absolutes. Everything is relative. So my truth is my truth. Your truth is your truth. And neither one is real truth because real truth occurs within the individual. And so the postmodern Marxists are just making up the world that they want and ignoring the reality of the world that you and I have lived in our entire lives and all of humanity has grown up with. They also don't believe in the individual, as we've heard over and over again. What they really believe in is just group. And you also hear the term determinism. In other words, somebody else is going to determine what you're going to do, whether it's your life, your career, maybe even marriages, maybe even the number of kids that you have. All those things are part of the Marxist postmodernism world. And the reality is that they, what they really want to do, and this is clearly stated in the postmodern world viewpoint, they just want conflict. They don't care why or what the conflict is about. There's no truth to the conflict or getting along. They just want conflict. And they want people to feel oppressed so that they will rise up in some revolution and they will attack the existing system that's working well for everybody. But they're going to continue as professors, as this professor has talked about, they're just going to continue to pick out any wounds of past errors or problems. And we all know that every system of governance is going to have problems or issues or people don't agree on a certain policy. But we get along, we compromise, we move ahead, we correct the errors of the past. I had many programs that you go back and listen to this, the podcast of this program to talk about the evils of slavery and how our founding fathers set up a system to get rid of slavery, but no one wants to admit that because that's not the Marxist way. The Marxist way is to create conflicts and keep pointing back to that as if nothing has ever been done. They also think that the world didn't exist before they were born. So anything that was done to move us in the right direction is not worth them identifying or agreeing that we are moving the right direction towards a more perfect union. They claim compassion, but their compassion really isn't the compassion that you and I would think about being empathetic or sympathetic to other people and trying to help them. No, they don't really want to help people that are the victims. They want those victims to continue to be victims and their situations to be even worse. So if you wonder why every major metropolitan area where the mayor is democratic, the school board is democratic, the city council is democratic. All the levers of power are the Democratic Party and these far left extreme Marxist socialists. The postmodernism mentality has seeped into all of those folks, and they don't really want to solve the problems of those inner cities. You and I thinking about the logic and the real compassion of those people is we ought to be saying it's a moral issue to get these people out of the destitute poverty and the generational poverty that they're in. Help them get jobs. Help them get ahead. Help them realize that there is an American dream out there. And don't tell me minorities aren't smart enough to do that. 
That's an insult to the minorities. And we have a perfect example of the Asians and the Indians who live in the United States who have progressed through this to achieve the American dream in far more numbers and far higher percentages than the minority black community. Why? Because the black community, I believe, under this Marxist philosophy, is in fact being kept down on purpose. And I believe the Republican Party ought to state this as a moral issue to raise those people up, to provide the services. And the Republican Party has tried to do some of that with the opposition of the Democratic Party that doesn't want to help raise these people up. Look at the um, um, judicial reform, the police reform that has been proposed by Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina. It was fought by the Democrats. They don't really want better policing and more safety in the black communities. Take a look at the enterprise zones, the opportunity zones that the Trump administration was putting in. Take a look at the way uh, HUD HUD, um, under Ben Carson was trying to help the housing issue in these communities. They had to fight every way to try to get something done, but they were not joined arm in arm by the Democratic Party because the Democratic Party doesn't want this kind of improvement in the lives of people that they're trying to create as revolutionaries, telling them that life is so bad that they are being oppressed by their white neighbors so that they could never get ahead. No matter what they do, they will never be able to get ahead. They will never be able to experience the kind of joy in their lives because somebody else is holding them down. That's the big lie that's being told. So these folks are neo-Marxists. They believe that people are just a piece of clay that can be molded and shaped if given the right education and brainwashing that and propagandized that's going on. And I know that's a problem today because not only do you have the loud voices in the Democratic Party extreme that have basically taken over the voice of the Democratic Party, but you have the media that is just following along like lab dogs trying to promote this. They're, I think, what uh, Lenin or Stalin just called useful idiots. They're promoting policies without thinking about the consequences to real lives, to real people, and they're not promoting the idea of how we can actually improve society. Just take a look at the evening news on any given day during these recent months, and probably the months ahead. No matter what the Republicans propose, no matter what states are proposing, which the Constitution gives them the right, the sole right, to establish the election laws, while they're trying to be sure that it is easier to vote and harder for fraud, The Democrats are fighting them every step of the way. In fact, we even saw the Texas Democrats leave the state on chartered planes to get away so that there couldn't be a quorum. What a bunch of fools they are distorting the truth for their own purposes. Why would they be against an honest election? Why would they be against making it hard to cheat? It's an 80% polling number that Americans believe we ought to have IDs. You ought to be able to get an ID. And they think that the poor people in cities can't get IDs. They need to get IDs to be able to get Medicare, Medicaid, food stamps, housing allowance. If they want to travel, get on a plane, they have to have an ID. So it is very, it's even hard to say. Right now, it, they, they are assuming a subservience of these people that just isn't there. They're assuming, assuming a stupidity of that population that really doesn't exist. It's a straw man of holding up people saying they can't get an ID. All they got to do when they send in a ballot is either have a picture of it, and then you had our vice president saying, well, they don't have a Kinko's. 
Kinko's was out of business 13 years ago. So how informed is our own government officials, our president and vice president? So I want to talk about this real shortly, uh, Professor, and sort of wrapping up here a little bit on this program, how this postmodernism is connected to Marxism in a very direct way. I want to focus on postmodernism's connections to Marxism. Um, postmodernism is, among all of the movements that we were looking at, the most politicized uh, of the movements, and it puts politics right front and center in a way that other philosophical uh, systems of education do not. So, Professor, as we wrap up, tell us again, let's nail this down. What is the role of a professor in this neo-Marxist, postmodern idea of moving towards Marxism? What's the, what's the professor's role in today's world if that's their strange ideology. The task of a professor, right, is to help the student focus on particular horrors of his or her times, that is to say, to be critical of existing society, and the job of the professor is not so much to focus on issues of truth, but rather to exercise power in order to bring about social change. Okay, so tell us what these horrors are in the capitalist system that the Marxists would continue to point to to make their case to young people. Now, what are the horrors uh, of the current time, or from what perspective do we see the current society as being horrible? And if we're exercise, interested rather in exercising power rather than truth, we're setting aside truth issues, we're focusing merely on power. Uh, why are we setting aside power? How do we want to exercise power? And if we're talking about social change, what kind of social change do we want to bring out? What we have then is the professor as a kind of political activist uh, in the classroom, and that's going to transform the nature of education, obviously. Okay, I don't know about our audience, but I think I've had enough. I understand the picture, and I appreciate, you don't know how much I appreciate your being willing to expose this in a relatively clear way as to what Marxism is, what Marxism is intending to do, and the chaos and confusion and conflicts that are being created in the United States that are perfectly in line with the Marxist theory to have a revolution in this country to impose ultimately a dictatorship Marxism that you've described, as well as some ultimate utopian dictatorship or Marxist structure that we've never seen in the history of mankind. The arrogance of young people to think that they can do something that's never been done successfully in the rest of the world in terms of organizing the human species to be self-governing and the promoting of uh, productivity, uh, liberty, freedoms, the rule of law, all those things that we cherish in this country and that people have died for and love to come to this country from around the world. Those are the things that you think and others like you are thinking um, is so flawed. Well, audience, I hope this has been enlightening to you. If you don't know the problem, if you don't know the mentality of the enemy, and these are the enemy, then we'll never find a solution. So thank you for being with us. I hope you've listened through all of these segments. I hope you go back and re-listen to it and join us again next week on America's Web Radio. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.